0: Um, Now this is the point where she moves into the commercial aspect of um, feeling manipulation, Um, the commercialization of feeling basically. This is part two of the book and uh, the more interesting part in my opinion. Um, now, at the outset, you know, Herschel is saying that, um, uh, you know, Delta Airlines is obviously not going to say that this is a market for emotional labor. Obviously, they're not going to use that kind of a term. In fact, upper management and advertising, even they'll talk about, uh, you know, the airlines giving a professional service and that the, uh, and that the in-flight, uh, the flight attendants, they need to have a positive attitude towards things and so on and so forth. So these are the terms that are used internally um, in the company. Um, and um, in their advertising they are also um, uh, you know uh, raising sort of ex- they're sort of raising expectations of the customer you know they they will say the the, the company any company really uh, will boast of uh, planes landing on time or leaving on time um, or that you know the planes are very spacious um, and service is really great uh, they also promise that they'll be happy workers you um, and, uh, and that the service is going to be human and personal, uh, and the flight attendants in the ads are always shown to be extremely happy and smiling and so on and so forth. So really the flight attendant is also carrying the burden of, um, um, of them being extremely sexualized and that, that the passengers already have some sort of sexualized uh, fantasies of them. Um, and at this point, you know, um, uh, Hashtel is sort of going into the history of um, uh, airline uh, uh, prices and so on and so forth that you know there has been in, in the US there has been a decline in flight prices over time obviously. It's become more affordable and that this has been the case in India as well and uh, because, of, because of the various airlines that exist uh, each of them have their own market niche so for example hostel um, and i'll just just reiterate that uh, she's writing this in 1983 so this is a pretty dated book uh, but she's uh, she's saying that united airlines for example they portray the uh, their um, flight attendants as being very girl next door uh, type of a person pan am is more upper class it is supposed to be more sophisticated and uh, so on so like each each company will have sort of its brand where they're trying to portray the flight attendant also to be a particular kind of person and this will depend on the clientele that they're trying to go for in any case this of course reflects in their um, in their uh, recruitment procedures uh, you know the kind of p- people that they're looking for they kind of make it uh, explicitly clear in some senses and at this point hostile goes into the recruitment sort of um, processes and um, of course you know there's uh, there's a lot of uh, rigorous checks that they put with regards to at least the appearance of the of the flight attendant of the potential flight attendant that um, so the flight attendant is uh, uh, at, at the time when hostel was interviewing and so on, they were supposed to be weighed every day. Um, and uh, this wasn't required for the pilots or any of the other staff members, obviously, but for the flight attendants, it was compulsory. And uh, that weight would be sort of, uh, it would determine, you know, a lot of things. So, for example, if a person was, if a woman was uh, one pound over the designated Weight, then uh, at first she could be given a warning, um, and then later she could be suspended with her without pay and so on, and uh, eventually th- they could even be fired if they weren't able to get down, get their weight down. And uh, this was this was true for Delta Airlines at the time when Hershell is writing, but Delta Air- Airlines was one of the uh, laxer um, sort of; it, it, they had more lax. Um, rules about this other airlines had even worse rules about um, even I I won't say was tighter rules about how the um, flight attendant was supposed to appear so really um, a flight attendant could only be professional in the sense how the company wants them to be professional if they have completely accepted the rules of standardization set by the company whether it has to do with weight or whether it has to do with how they are supposed to feel so on that note, um, the, the flight attendants, uh, when they are being trained, they are asked to um, imagine that uh, whenever they're in a flight and they have all of these people who they are supposed to, quote-unquote, look after, then they should think of them as guests in their home. So the flight cabin should become their home, and these are guests who have come in, and which would give them the patience to deal with, a, with an angry or an irate customer so the understanding is that the flight attendant is supposed to see the passenger as a potential friend and have to and they also are expected to be as understanding as one would be to a good friend uh, so you know this is sort of asking the flight attendant to personalize an impersonal relationship and of course this is a one way personalization the flight attendant is asked uh, to be understanding of the passenger but of course the passenger is sort of almost taught almost told to dehumanize. So, for example, this is a very interesting uh, point that uh, Hoshal makes, that uh, flight attendants are reminded of this one-way personalization when uh, passengers don't realize which flight attendant they already talked to. So, they're also surprised, Then uh, this is uh, a quote from the uh, from one of the interviews that she's taken, quote, passengers are surprised when they discover that we eat. They think that we can go for 24 hours without being allowed to eat. Or they will get off the plane in Hong Kong after 15 after a 15-hour flight, which is a 16 or 17-hour duty day for us, and say, "Are you going on to Bangkok? Are you going on to Delhi?" Yes, right, sure. We go around the world and get sent back with the airplane, airplane for repairs. So this is the perspective um, of the of the passenger, um, who 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 sort of dehumanizes the flight attendant. So, you know, um, on top of all of this, basically what she's saying is that, uh, for example, when, um, so these are all techniques that they are told to when, you know, when they have to deal with um, um, angry customers and so on and so forth. So if, if your friend, for example, is getting angry, then the way that you would deal with them, you know, being patient or being kind or being understanding, that's the kind of way that they are supposed to be dealing with the with um, the passenger and uh, throughout this entire thing managing feeling doesn't really become a problem so what this means is that the cause of the anger as in why the flight attendant became angry or why there is anger in general that is not part of the problem the idea is only how one is supposed to manage the anger now the cause of the anger could be a lot of different things you know it could be conditions of work the the number of people on the crew the the exclusion uh, that a lot of people face um, there's a lot of Sexism. Um, There are also a lot of medical problems that flight attendants may face. So there might be a lot of reasons for the flight attendant to be angry in various circumstances. But the idea only is at this point for the company that how is the flight attendant going to manage that anger? Um, now, one thing that uh, Herschel uh, at, the, at the latter uh, part of this chapter she talks about is that um, so there are a lot of issues now that the, uh, that you know the number of flight attendants per, um, per flight or that uh, the, the, the ratio of passengers to the flight attendants when uh, you know the, that has also been increasing quite a bit. and this has been because flight tickets have been getting cheaper and cheaper, but um, one of the demands in the US, at least one of the demands by the unions of um, flight um, attendants. Um, and other stuff was to increase the number of people on the crew uh, but this hasn't really happened from the uh, the side of the company so um, so you know there's more complaints because um Uh, It may be so that the advertising promises a certain kind of standard uh, and uh, eventually when people get into those flights, that standard is not really achieved. So there are a lot of complaints and a lot of that anger is directed towards the flight attendant. So this requires even more amounts of um, emotional work done by the flight attendants. So, of course, this sort of a work environment leads to a lot of stress and there are a lot of long shifts and uh, so a lot of emotional issues that uh, crop up for, uh, especially uh, what Hostel claims uh, is a much worse situation for the junior attendants. Um, and uh, basically the, the, the emotions of a person becomes an instrument. Um, now in the next chapter, this is the seventh chapter. Um, Harshal uh, initially starts to talk about the bill collectors, and really she sort of points on the, points out the cont- uh, the sort of um, very very um, interesting difference between the job of a bill collector and the job of a flight attendant. So for the uh, for the. Uh, collector, what tends to happen is that they are supposed to increase, escalate uh, sort of aggression. And the the flight attendant is supposed to enhance the customer status. So on on one hand, the bill collector tries to uh, show that the customer is in uh, in fact lower in status than him. And on the other hand, the flight attendant has to show uh, that the esteem of the customer is much higher uh, than it actually might be. Um, so quickly moving on to the next chapter the last chapter of the book um, she, uh, her child basically now comes to really goes into the gendered aspect of this entire situation here she's saying that um, you know there are multiple reasons why uh, uh, you know this sort of a thing has of course a very gendered connotation and again reiterating the book is written in 1983 so let's just have that you know keep that in mind um, the first thing uh, she says that is that uh, women are generally uh, have less access to money, power, authority or status in society uh, um, and uh, is a subordinate on the social stratum. And so in the personal life, um, so to speak, um, uh, firstly what women tend to do is they make a resource out of feeling and they offer it as a gift um, in order to gain access to some other sort of material resources that uh, they might not have. Um, Secondly, emotion work that is done in daily life is kind of different for men and women and while women are generally expected to do the kind of emotional work that flight attendants do, for example, uh, men are more, uh, you know, expected to handle the bill collectors side of it. So, uh, so that's the difference. Um, th- the, the third thing is, and this is something that is noticed a little bit less, is that individual women um, uh, don't have an, a very uh, strong status shield against some sort of um, you know, uh, displaced feelings and so on. So basically what she's trying to say here is that it is more likely for a customer, for example, to get angry at a female flight attendant and express that anger in a sort of a more exaggerated way as opposed to them being angry with a male attendant. Because a male attendant automatically will be considered to be an authority. Um, Hochschild claims that uh, generally women, and when she's talking about American middle class women, they tend to manage feeling more because they depend um, on uh, others for their, uh, for their material lack, um, is what she's saying, That because they depend on others for money, for example. She says that uh, especially they do, and I'm quoting, they, they do especially emotion work that affirms, enhances, and celebrates the well-being and status of others, end quote. Um, Of course, everyone does emotional work um, in in their personal lives, but uh, Hochschild is saying that women are expected to do more of it. So here she cites a study uh, where uh, where the comparison is between male uh, and female university professors, and they found that students expected uh, women professors to be warmer and more supportive than male professors. And because these expectations existed, uh, more women professors were considered or perceived to be cold. Um, on a similar line, more, um, uh, in, in, in another study, uh, clinically trained psychologists were asked to match various characteristics with adult men and adult women. And more often they associated the terms tactful, gentle, very aware of the feelings of others to a woman. So now because this uh, sort of a st- uh, stereotype or expectation exists, what does this mean for a for such a lower status party to be involved in commercial work that involves um, emotions? So here Hoshal is saying that uh, they are, uh, the emotions of a person a- a- in such a job is discounted in two ways. Um, in one way, uh, the first way that this is done is to call the emotions of a person, and let me just say here that he is talking about women who are at a lower status in this situation. Uh, that the emotions of the person will be considered rational, but they will be considered unimportant. Um, so in this in this sort of a scenario, what uh, what will happen is that uh, because they are so uh, because women are so emotional, so you know which is why they are emotional. So what this basically means is that um, if if a woman is showing emotions, then it is because they are emotional and not because of the circumstances in which that emotion has been has occurred. Um, the other way that emotions are dismissed is to just simply call them uh, irrational completely. Um, so that is another way to uh, dismiss emotions, and this both of those things happen also in um, in the commercial aspects of uh, um, emotional emotion, the manipulation of emotion. Now for a sort of concluding uh, idea of uh, this entire thing, the thing that she thinks is an issue with this entire commercialization of feeling is that she says that uh, uh, because one needs to make a distinction between what one is doing on stage, what one is doing for the job and what one really is, it, it becomes really difficult because this is an estrangement from aspects of oneself, um, you know, for the job. So one has to make the distinction between the real self and the self that is in the company uniform. Um, so, so really basically what Hoschild is uh, trying to build into you know um, And I, I think this is the, the, the next chapter. the chapter nine is the last chapter, my bad. Uh, she's talking about, uh, basically, she's building up to this idea of authenticity, um, that clearly there are aspects of this job, uh, of flight attendant, and, you know, later on, uh, the idea of emotional labor has gone on to describe a lot of different professions, um, a lot of which are dominated by women, uh, by the way, and a lot of them, of course, involve... Um, uh, this sort of a thing, and the idea is that whatever they, whatever people are doing for the job, is inauthentic, that it is not sincere. Because uh, and we understand this, right? At the start of uh, when I started to talk about this book, I did say that we as customers also realize that. Uh, Uh, that a lot of uh, certain kinds of behavior that uh, for example the flight attendant is going to be um, you know the the way that she's going to be behaving with us we realize that it's a it's a it's a put up thing and that it's part of her job Um, so we know that it's not quite sincere her friendliness is not quite sincere we understand that but really the question that Hochschild is asking is how does she do this and so a lot of times what might happen her point here is that there might be a lot of burnout uh, because of something like this you know that the uh, it is possible the flight attendant uh, attendant will overextend herself into the job, and which is why she'll burn out, or she will you know detach herself from the job and then feel bad about it. Now she's talking about flight attendants particularly, but this is also generally I suppose the case with people. I mean just in work. I mean I can understand this uh, feeling of uh, making making one's work a part of a of an identity and a way to define the self um, uh, uh, so to speak, and what that might lead to is the a lack of distinction between what am i at work and what am i what am i in general and uh, so what that probably does is that if there is some sort of a failure at work or some issue at work then that becomes a a matter of personal failure and of course this this would be an issue with someone who takes their work um, you know who who overextend themselves in work and on the other hand you know if one is not doing that at all then one is completely detached uh, with the kind of work that they are doing and that might obviously that affects the you know affects productivity and so on so basically uh, what she's saying is you know that the uh, that the worker needs to have more control over the conditions of acting and this is something that um, at least as far as the unions of flight attendants were uh, are concerned they would try to do that um, you know the you know like i previously said that they would try to increase the number of um, people in the on the crew which would give some sort of a breathing space to the people who are already exist like already on the crew um yeah. And a lot of the, uh, uh, at, at, at various points, you know, fl- uh, airlines have tried to remove the number of people from the crew, like decrease the sizes even more and which places a huge burden on the people who are already working. So, uh, you know, that also, that is also something that unions have uh, opposed. Again, this is all US. Um, yeah. And pretty much towards the end of this chapter, you know, Hushaldeh is also looking at largely what this means for the idea of feelings and emotions she's saying the culture's response to this entire thing that there is a general increase in the uh, you know uh, jobs in the service sector so you know what what has happened to the idea of emotions that as a culture we have started to place a lot of importance in what is what can be considered spontaneous emotions real feelings Um, so uh, a lot of a lot of the things that happen a lot of the things that happen in the various kinds of psychological therapies that people go to um, has to do with getting in touch with some feelings some pure feelings that is inside of us that we need to get in touch with and pretty much a lot of therapies have have something to do with this sort of um, an understanding of feeling and emotion so this is something that is uh, as hostile claims that has been uh, has happened because of the focus on the commercialization of feeling that now we are looking for authenticity in feeling sincerity in feeling um, and uh, she she's talking about uh, Christopher Lash, who has speculated that what happens in this sort of an environment is that there is an unhealthy sense of um, self. Um, so there's a false self who is created, who who is doing a lot of deep acting a lot of the times and of course here she is no longer just talking about people who are involved in that kind of work but generally the this idea that feeling has been commercialized that feeling has become a way in order to get things from other people it has almost become a sort of currency in this situation what what sometimes tends to uh, what what Christopher Lash says um, happens is that there are two ways that people deal with it one is that uh, you you know some a person who has a false self will become narcissistic so you know there They feed on interactions and they compete desperately uh, for admiration. Um, And because, uh, you know, admiration is uh, seemingly very scarce, I mean, sincere admiration is scarce, so, you know, the person will continue to look for it. And the second false self that gets created is the altruist, the person who is overly concerned with the needs of others. And, And what Herschel is claiming here is that uh, the narcissist is a is a false self that is more associated and there's great greater danger for men to develop this sort of a false self and there is greater danger for women to develop the altruist um, false self um, this is pretty much the last part um, of the last chapter of the book and I'll just like to quote the you know the uh, sort of the last words in the book which I thought that would they were really interesting um that among themselves, flight attendants build up an alternative way of experiencing. Um. So. Um. Yeah. Um. I'll quote again. Uh, among themselves, flight attendants build up an alternative way to describe. Or uh, uh, alternative way of experiencing a smile, a way that involves anger and joking and mutual support on the job. And in their private lives, driving back home on the freeway, talking quietly with a loved one, sorting it out in the occasional intimacy of a worker-to-worker talk, they separate the company's meaning of anger from their own meaning, the company rules of feeling from their own. They try to reclaim the managed heart. These struggles, like the costs that make them necessary, remain largely invisible because the kind of labor that gives rise to them, emotional labor is seldom recognized by those who tell us what labor is.